Hey there, do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. This is a first ever podcast. First ever podcast. This is a first ever podcast. First ever podcast. First ever podcast my friend jeremy Bohm and the first ever podcast jeremy Bohm and the first ever podcast this is the first ever podcast first ever podcast welcome to the first ever podcast my name is jeremy Bohm. i am your host and if this is your first time here this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. Oh my God, it's episode 150. Now, if you've been keeping track, which I hope you have, every 50 episodes, I invite a friend, someone I'm a fan of, to do a cover of the intro song. So for instance, on episode 50, I had Andy Hull of Manchester Orchestra on episode 100, I invited Ben Walsh from Tiger's Jaw to do a cover. And now we're at episode 150. And not only is he the guest this week, he knocked it out of the park with that very original, very funny uh, cover. That was Mr. Drew Thompson. Drew Thompson of Single Mothers. Drew Thompson of the Drew Thompson Foundation. And as of yesterday, Drew Thompson of a band called The Stoves. They just dropped an EP yesterday. You can hear it over at thestovesareon.bandcamp.com. Also, some other things going on with him. Single Mothers have a Canadian tour coming up starting August 24th. Tickets are on sale now. And also, the Drew Thompson Foundation have their first and only show of 2023 in Toronto, July 21st at the Monarch Tavern. And tickets are on sale for that as well. Drew and I go back very, very, very far uh, I started a label called Secret Voice specifically because of Single Mothers. We get into it in this episode. We talk about it, but uh, I saw them play and I was so floored that I started a goddamn record label just to release their record. Um, yo, speaking of just what's going on, I just got home from tour last night. Uh, this is my first time doing a fresh recording as an intro. I want to say a huge thank you to everybody who has been listening every single week. Um, I was pretty open and upfront that a lot of or all of those conversations were pre-recorded. I want to give a big shout out to everybody over at the Patreon for keeping up and being just such awesome sports and uh, submitting questions, to all those upcoming guests, which reminds me, if you want to hear a bonus episode with Drew Thompson, head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, where he answers questions that were submitted by subscribers. If you would like to be a part of that kind of community, please hit up the Patreon. It helps support the show. And uh, it just means a whole lot to me. So, yeah, um, I think that's it. Without further ado, 
It's episode 150, like I said. So this is exciting. Here's my conversation with Drew Thompson. Drew, my friend, it is so nice to hang out with you today. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm, I'm great. I'm great. How are you? I'm, you know, I'm doing well. Uh, you know, there's, I've been doing this show now for about, you got coming up on three years, I think, which is really crazy to think about. But, um, you know, I feel lucky anytime I get a chance to talk to anybody. It's always exciting for one reason or another. But as soon as I clicked into this chat and I saw your face, I was like, this is going to be a nice time. This is going to be extra fun. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, uh, let's not set this up to be disappointed, I guess. Yeah. No, <laughs> well, that's great. I'm I mean, not, same. I haven't yeah, seen you in so long. It's wonderful. Listen, I'm not, I don't care about the listener. I'm talking about my personal experience. <laughs> Yeah, me too. I mean, it's great. It's really great to see you. It's been it's been way too long. Uh, yeah, I yeah, you're you're someone who I always value anytime I get to I get to hang out with. Uh, you know, I feel like you've been someone who has been a catalyst for a lot of exciting things in my life. So, you know, one of those I, things. I feel so. I feel exactly the same way. Um, yo, so I don't know if I, you're in. Are you in Toronto? Right. Where are you at right now? Are you do you live in Toronto? I live close to Toronto, so I'm in Hamilton, um, oh, okay, which is fair. like, actually, I think it's where we met was in Hamilton. Um, it's like an hour outside Toronto. Right, right, right. And you're from London originally? Yeah, London, Ontario. So it's like two hours from Toronto. Yeah. So I'm kind of in the middle of where London and Toronto, um, in the middle of the highway system there. Right, right. So... God, it's so funny. Like when we first started really kind of touring Canada more often uh, or like kind of going there more often, it was I always like really had a big love for the suburbs outside of Toronto. Like I always enjoy playing Toronto, but it always feels like it's a lot of work usually. You know? Yeah, it's a lot of traffic. Yeah, all of that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, but I always enjoyed like, yeah, like the the Hamiltons, the the Londons, the Ottawas. Uh, what's your relationship with those places? Out, like, do you enjoy playing those places as much as Toronto, or which do you prefer? I mean, I love them all. Like, it's all inner province to me. So, I mean, I, I grew up in London. I love playing London. Um, I love. I've been in Hamilton here for eight years now. I think. Um, so. I mean, this is home, but I've been on tour for a lot of the time that I lived here. Um, and then Toronto's great because I see all my friends that left all those nice cities you just mentioned and moved to Toronto. So that's kind of like a family reunion whenever we go to Toronto. I have a lot of family in Toronto. But um, I don't, you know, like like you said, playing Toronto, it's kind of just a whole other um, monster from playing like a smaller town. You know, you've got the traffic to deal with. There's always so many shows going on. And um, it's always special when we play. But I, I kind of like it all equally, I guess. Totally. Outside of Toronto, uh, do you have a favorite major city? Like, do you have a big love for like Vancouver or do you prefer, you know, or, or like maybe you have a better relationship with like, say, like a Winnipeg than I do? Because I've only played there like maybe twice my entire life. Right. No, I don't have a good relationship with any of those cities. <laughs> no. Um <laughs> I mean, for I think being like Canadian and being so close to like the American border um, and never like I never went to America before we started touring. So whenever we hit the big American cities like uh, like New York, L.A., like the bicoastal stuff, I love New Orleans is one of my favorite places in the world. Um, and we have played there a few times and like the show is always fun, but it's just walking through the city is always such a treat. 
Um, and like, I think we've always done, we've always had a really good time in Philadelphia, Boston, and Chicago. Um, and I think like if I had to pick, if I had to pick like a favorite city other than like Toronto, where we're from, it's, it would probably be, um, yeah, it'd probably be like Philly to play because those shows are always a lot of fun. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was curious if you had any sort of deep, yeah, the reason I was asking is just, yeah, I was curious if you had any sort of deeper relationship to like any of the, uh, the larger Canadian cities, but yeah, I mean, I totally understand with you being okay. Toronto. It's like, you're, you're like right over the border obviously, <laughs> from, from like Buffalo and then you, yeah. you to all of those other places. But well, for the Canadian, on the Canadian side, like, I mean, Vancouver is, there's only like three big cities to play in, in Canada, which is like, you know, Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver. Um, yeah. And there's other like mid-sized cities for sure that are great, but I mean Vancouver is always super fun to play, and how it's as you... far as you can get from me. So it's how do you guys do in Quebec, like Quebec City? Not good. It's the it's like it's... the hardest <laughs> city in the entire world to play. Yeah, I, I genuinely believe that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, oh yeah, I we, it, we were just there two weeks ago, and it was yeah. the worst show on, of the tour for sure. It's so strange. Yeah. Um, actually, I love Hal. I should say I love Halifax. We just played a show in Halifax. It was one of the funnest shows I've I've played in years. That's I changed cool. my answer from Vancouver to Halifax. I love Halifax. Yeah, yo, we we've only get, we've only we did the Maritimes. I forget if we ever really talked about it, but we did like a whole Maritimes tour once so long ago, and it was one of the weirdest experiences of our lives. Right. But like, I would love to do it again because it was such an adventure. Let's you know. Do it. Let's Seriously. do it. Yeah, it's super fun. It's super, super fun. We hadn't been out there in, I mean, the last time we played Halifax, um, it was a shit show. And um, I I got arrested. We got like banned from the club. It was super dumb. So I we never went back because I had we we're just like, oh, this place is is whack. Um, but then on this tour, it was the first time going back from since like 2014, and it was Honestly, it was one of the funnest shows I've ever played in my life. Like, it, it was just a great, great vibe. And, like, Out East is super nice. And, I mean, I encourage any band to go out there because it's, it might, the drives might be, you know, long and winding, but it's a, it's a really fun, fun area to play. If you uh, the trip. I got to ask, what'd you get arrested for? Can we talk about that? It was, so, yeah, it was so <laughs> dumb. It was like the dumbest, <laughs> it was the dumbest interaction I've ever had with anybody. But, we were we were opening for the Flatliners, and there was like this no stage diving rule, and the bouncers were getting really up in everybody's face about it, and which is fine, I get it. Everybody has like a job to do, but yeah. um, our old bass player, um, he was you know being himself and started stage diving to the Flatliners, and the bouncers grabbed him and like were dragging him out of the club. All I did was say, "Hey, you know, he's in the band." And I like touched one of the bouncers and they screamed that I assaulted him and like called the cops and dragged me, you know, by my ankles and my, and my wrists out of the club and <laughs> waited till the cops came. And then the cop came and put me in the back of the cruiser. And he was like, so what happened? And I was like, I don't know. Honestly, yeah, I don't know yeah, what yeah. happened. I don't know what just happened. I think I got assaulted. But, yeah, um, right. But then, yeah, it was super weird and it was just an awkward situation. Did, has um, that, did that affect anything with your traveling like cross borders here in the U.S. at all? Like, did that get on your record at all? No, no, I wasn't sure. They dropped everything. It was okay, stupid. Great. It was just like, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. bouncers, high emotions and stuff and just like, totally. get out of here. Luckily, I think the promoter liked us and like saw it go down. and was just like, yo, this is 
This is so silly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, I didn't even do I would I wasn't even stage diving, which is the yeah, funny for thing. sure. It, it was just people uh, getting yeah. emotional. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so funny. I remember I don't know if we ever told you the story. We one time got it was like one of the first times we ever crossed into Canada and we it was pre we didn't have internet over there so like i think only clayton maybe had a plan that like let us but it was like shitty service so we were lost and uh trying to end like our garmin fucking thing didn't work (laughs) overseas it was or like or like over the border yet so like we were stressing out trying to find like the hotel for the night or something and uh we realized we're getting followed by a cop and we're like fuck so we all said you know the lights come on the siren comes on we're like fuck we're getting pulled over what's happening you know so we pull over and we're all nervous and stuff, you know, and the cop comes up to the window and he was just like, hey, it looked like you were lost. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it was just like the most friendly person about it. He was just like, wow. yeah, where are you going, bud? That's <laughs> like, so funny. It's like, oh, yeah, we're in Canada. That's 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 how that's the difference, I suppose. That's how this. some of them are. Yeah, yeah not, all, are. not all of them. Not all of them. them. No, <laughs> for sure. But it was just so funny because we're so used to like as soon as you see the sirens, you're like, oh, great. One of us is about to get pulled right. out of the car and question for about three hours about why we're in this neighborhood uh, <laughs> yeah. oh my so God. what's the what's the death wish band doing here yeah oh exactly yeah. exactly um yo so let me ask you this when you were when you were growing up what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours maybe not something that like was being played by any parents but something that maybe you discovered on your own that gave you a sense of identity Jeez, i think like <clears throat> So I, I had a friend whose aunt worked for Sony Records. I think it was Sony. It was one of their big record labels. And when I, when we were kids, I was in like grade six, five, grade five, grade six. And um, she used to bring him CDs all the time. And he brought an Oasis CD into our like grade six graduation. You know, you have like a class party or whatever. And he played What's the Story, Morning Glory. And I just like fell in love with the, I fell in love with that CD and like demanded my mom go to like Costco or wherever and go get it like right now. And she, she didn't like Oasis. She wasn't interested in that. Um, so she tried to get me like, you know, those now compilations. Oh, then now that's what I call music. Whatever. Yeah. yeah like yeah, one yeah. of those, she was like, see, this has an Oasis CD, but it has all this other good stuff on, or it has like an Oasis song, but it has all these other good, good bands. And uh, I was like, no, I need, I need, I need that. The What's the daddy. story? Morning glory. Yeah. So I think like that's my earliest, memory of like really needing something um right away like not being able to get it out of my head but then i i really latched on to like everclear um um so much for the afterglow that that record and like alanis morissette at that time jagged little pill like 96 97 98 were very formative years for me um latching on to things and, and obsessing over them uh I feel like all three of those records, you can hear that in the music that you make today. Like whether it's <laughs> vocal delivery, whether it's like kind of the talky nature of some of those bands, right? you know, like I, I can absolutely hear how all three of those are in your DNA for sure. Right. For better or worse. Yeah. For better or worse. Is, uh, is Alanis Morissette like when you were a kid, especially then was she just fucking royalty? because of canada um yeah i think so for sure like she jag little pill was just such a monster of a record and like totally 
when it came out, it was ev- like much music. It was everywhere. Um, it like hit my so frame many of reference. Different... Like my frame of reference. Like she was huge in the fucking states. Obviously, like huge in the states. But I was curious, like what the Canadian experience was with her. Yeah. Right. Well, I don't know. Like I was pretty young, so I would have been like eleven or twelve when that record came out. And I, I mean, I it was to the point where it was hitting my demographic and my mom's demographic at the same time, and like everybody knew her. She was just yeah, was massive. Your, was your mom a fan? I think so. Yeah, my yeah. mom likes cool music. Like, if if that was a cool album, yeah, my yeah. mom was a fan for sure. Yeah. So what were I mean? Just yeah. Now I'm just curious. Like, what was the music that was being played in the house? Um, my wow, oh man, my mom always liked my mom. My mom had pretty cool taste in music. I think she was she was kind of young when she had me. She was still in in uh, university, so she still she was still like had her finger on the pulse or whatever. Yeah. Um But my earliest recognition of of music uh, my earliest memory is like this band the monks did you do you know this band They're like a british punk band i don't know if i do they have a song called um nice legs shame about your face <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> i know you can't but this was like 1980 yeah. fucking three or of course yeah whatever, yeah yeah seven it's, or eight yeah um, but yeah it's cheeky yeah, and my mom used to play it all the time, and I used to run around the house just singing, like, nice legs, shame about your face. Um, I used to go up to my grandma. We lived with my grandma, and she used to get really mad at my mom because I'd come up to her all the time and go, hey, nice legs, shame about your face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so she liked that stuff. She was a big Jim Blossoms fan. Like She introduced oh, me nice. to Congra- Congratulations, I'm Sorry, which is one of my all-time favorite records. Um, I'd taken that CD from her car many times to like take to school and stuff. She hated Nirvana, which might be why I don't like Nirvana. Um, She really didn't like Nirvana. Um, But yeah, having a hard time processing that right now. She didn't. I know she really hated Nirvana. I don't know why, but she, (laughs) she always told me they were bad. Um, And like, but she, yeah. And then like later on, I mean, she like, I liked Catch Twenty Two, and she liked Catch Twenty Two, and those bands when I was in high school. So okay. she was always very open minded. She wasn't like a music head or anything, but she was playing good stuff around the house, Bob Seger, and like, yeah, college rock and stuff too. What was uh, what was the first concert you ever went to? Um, Canadian guy named Matthew Good. Do you know Matthew Good, the Matthew Good band? That sounds familiar. He's he's really he was really good he was big in canada in the 90s late 90s um early 2000s he played the um london fairgrounds which is like where we have the western fair every year this tiny little city fair and um he was great but this this band do you know have you ever heard of a band called serial joe from canada i don't think i have they were another they were kind of like before Hanson, but they were kind of like the bad boys, like the oh, um, boy. of being a of being twelve in a band. Um they were <laughs> and all Canadian. These, <laughs> yeah. They were a group of like twelve year olds. And it's really funny because at the time, you know, they were kind of the same age as me. I thought, you know, this is this is what I have to do. I have to be the next serial Joe. I have to be famous when I'm like thirteen. Um, because that's what like is doing it for these guys. But it it didn't really work for them, and now in my adult life, I know the their manager, like who their manager was. Now it's such a small world as you get yeah. older. Um, but they opened the show, and everybody hated them. It was like it was brutal. Um, and hated I remember the children hated the children, just hated the children because it was kind of a gimmick. Like they weren't sure they weren't very good. Um, 
But I remember distinctly these guys in front of me, like these older guys with long hair, filling up water bottles full of dirt and just whipping them at the stage at these kids. And like he handed me one. And he was like, hey, man, yeah, give it a go. Throw it. And uh, I don't remember if I did. I don't think I would have. Um, but they all threw it. And like everybody in the crowd started throwing bottles at them. And their moms had to come on stage. And like oh. their, their moms came out and like reamed out the crowd for throwing stuff at them. Um, but then Matthew Good came and he played great. And I remember it was the first time I'd ever seen like a set, like a kind of a famous person in real life. Yeah. And I, I couldn't believe like somebody on that. I just saw on the TV earlier that day was like in front of me. And I thought that was so weird. Um, and that was a feeling like I've always remembered. It never came back. Like it's whatever, but yeah, it's funny. No, that is interesting. It's something I never really thought about either but that is a level of when you see a concert like one of the early concerts whatever it is of like someone who's like quote unquote famous like because yeah there's the excitement of like i'm about to hear these songs that's so much louder than maybe i expected all of that but there is that element of like that's somebody that i've seen on tv and now they're in front of me (laughs) you know that's very crazy yeah i think i was 12 i would have been like 12 at the time Um, yeah but he was he's a great songwriter. He he put out a lot of good albums. Um Beautiful Midnight's a great album if you ever get the chance to check it out. When did you start playing an instrument and was guitar your first instrument? Um no, I started out with drums actually. Um, oh wow. Yeah, I played drums. So I went to school, yeah, in London, Ontario, and our public school didn't have a music program. So we would go down to another public school down the street for music. So like twice a week we would start our days at this school. And they had a music program with instruments. And uh, yeah, they I had a great music teacher and who I loved um, who let me play the drums. And I fell in love with the drums. I wanted to be a drummer so bad. And um, my mom was pregnant with my sister at the time. And then she she had a baby and was like, we can't have drums in the house. Totally. Uh, so they gave me a guitar. I had no interest in guitar. I didn't want to play guitar. I still don't have a very interesting guitar. <laughs> Wow. Um, but like, but drums, yeah, I really, really wanted to be a drummer. And for a couple of years I was, then we moved and I went to a different high school and the music teacher was not cool and would not let me play the drums. Um, and I, I hated them. And that was kind of like the last, my drum career fizzled out in grade eight. Yeah. Were you, when you were first learning how to play drums, were you doing the thing where like you put headphones in and try to play along to like, yeah, like Oasis or Everclear or anything like that? Kind of. Yeah. Like I would show up. I, I really liked the drums. Yeah. <laughs> I really want. So I would show up like an hour before class and she would let me in and I would play the drums for an hour before class. And then I'd play them all for class. And like, uh, yeah, I would try and play along to like some Oasis stuff, some Everclear stuff. Um, but you know, I wasn't great. Like, you know, I was young and, um, uncoordinated, but I just liked it. I really did like it a lot. And I, I've, I hold drummers in a very special um, spot in my life, I think, because, you know, I'm so like jealous of them and like just revere the drums. I think that it's such a a cool instrument, an important instrument for any band. Um, It's really the backbone of bands. One thousand percent. I probably just like you, like if I'm watching a band live, 70 percent of my attention is on the drummer. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like it's, it's a mesmerizing instrument. And then also if the drummer has any sort of swagger or hits hard, my attention's on them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Like I, 
I focus quite a bit. Even when we play, I like to look back and I take a look at Brandon or Peter or whoever's on the drums and just like take a minute and let it soak in. But yeah. you're right. I, I, a good drummer is, is such an impressive thing to watch. And totally. you can tell when a drummer really loves drumming too. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's really adds to the show for sure. Um, do you have, do you still have that first drum set you had? Well, I never had one. I just used the school school set. one. Okay, yeah. yeah. My mom. So, like, they said that. <clears throat> my this is still like a contested thing between my mom and I. But she was like, <laughs> "Okay, if you stick with drums for the year, like, we'll we'll get you a set and you can put it in the basement of the house." But then she got pregnant, and um, they yeah, they didn't want a drum set. Me playing drums while the baby was trying to sleep or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and that was my first taste of sibling rivalry, like <laughs> way back then. <laughs> uh, did you ever play? Did you ever like try to start a band playing drums? Like, I mean, I know you said you didn't have a kit, but like, was there ever an instance where you did? Like, maybe there was a kit around that you were able to play in a band? Not really. Um, I think like pretty much every most of the bands that I've been in, I've had to start and. Yeah. I would just find a drummer. Like I've always liked writing songs. I've always, which is, you know, probably maybe would have been um, contradictive to like pursuing drums is that I, I really do enjoy writing songs. Um, so I would like look for a good drummer. Yeah. <laughs> look for a good drummer when I would start a band. So what was the first band you ever did? Oh my gosh. Do you actually want to know? Yeah. Okay. So I think the, the very first band I ever had, we didn't even have a name, but I was in grade seven. And we were doing um, Dookie covers. Uh, we were playing like my friend Dylan, his dad was in a cover band in St. Thomas. And he taught us how to play like When I Come Around and Insomniac, I think. Um, or yeah, at least When I Come Around. And um, we had like a, a school talent show in front of in front of the whole school. Um, and we had, we were like I had like, you know, a PB Bandit or whatever, those little practice amps. And my first guitar which was given to me instead of a drum set, uh, which was a Harmony Bobcat, um, which is cool now, but it wasn't cool when I got it. Uh -huh. Everybody had strats and stuff. Yeah. Um, but we played When I Come Around, and I was very confident going onto the stage, but as soon as I hit the stage, I forgot everything. I oh, like, no. forgot all the words. I forgot like how to play it. I had complete stage fright. Um, I think they ended up just putting the song on at some point because we were just bombing so bad i think they just went like okay let's just put that like someone like put it on in the house or something yeah yeah which is wow funny. um but yeah that was like the my first experience um like fronting a band it was just didn't go well and i How think i've really blocked it out of my memory because i haven't really thought about it until until <laughs> I mean, I got to be honest, I'm incredibly impressed that you were able to get back on the horse because that sounds like a traumatizing situation to where that would like as soon as, you know, the next time you get up on stage that that would be in the back of your brain. Right. Well, I didn't get back on stage for quite a while, but it I wasn't really affected by it too much. I I've always been I have never really been scared to fail at things. Um and I was down to try, and I think I, <laughs> I think it was embarrassing at the time, but it wasn't. Yeah, it didn't really bug me. And then I, I'm pretty sure the next time I played when I was in high school, a similar thing happened, and it it wasn't very good. But like you the just stage, keep fr going. stage fright kicked in, and yeah, yeah, stage fright kicked in. I started, I you know, you forget the the words. It still happens in single mothers sometimes, where I'll forget the words 
to a song. Um, but yeah, back then I was playing guitar, I was singing, and like just everything vanished. It was just I I don't know, everything just went away. Um, but you was know, that, was that original songs at that point? Um, in high school, it was yeah. Those ones are original. So that was my next band, which was called <laughs> it was called Ran for Miles. Um, oh yeah, and it was with me and yeah, we were three piece. Me and my friend Mike Marino and my other friend Sean Abel. Um, I played guitar. Mike Marino played drums, and Sean Abel played bass. Um, and we yeah, we started that in high school and would jam in Mike's basement. Um, he had a drum set, which was great, and he was a pretty good drummer. Um. And like they were more theatery kids than I was, so they were like you know pretty outgoing and 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 gung ho to to do it. Um, and we would play like uh, the coffee shops and talent shows and whatever at our high school. And uh, the, yeah, the first time it was not good, uh, but it progressively like got better and better. What kind of music was it? Um, it was like kind of pop punky. Um, yeah, I was gonna say that that name sounds pop punky, but I was curious yeah. if it was. <laughs> I think I thought it was like uh, more like saves the day kind of, you know, emo-y yeah. uh, stuff. But it was looking back on it, it was like pop punk. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Well, I mean, I guess you could say it's like you could be like, oh, it's like earlier saves the day stuff, which was. More yeah, that's what we were going for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so do you remember the first show that you did with them that you feel you did overcome that stage fright and it like went OK? Uh, when I started drinking, yeah, it started, <laughs> it started helping a little bit. Um, wow, yeah. So, like, I was just an incredibly anxious person. Um, I still, like, am, but you learn to overcome these things, uh, little tricks or whatever. But I didn't have any tricks back then. So I found booze and, like, would just have a few shots before we played. And it, I wouldn't forget as much. Or, like, I just wouldn't have panic attacks up on stage. Yeah. Um, and we started playing... Yeah, around London at um, like call the office and the embassy and stuff. And it was fine. And then I joined another band where I just played guitar. I didn't do any singing. And like that was, you know, that was great. That was fun. Super fun. And then I didn't join another band. I didn't have another band that I sang in until Single Mothers. I just kind of jumped around other bands in London playing guitar. And I wasn't good at guitar. Like I <laughs> was just playing guitar for people, um, like making their band worse. But um but when it was were, fun. When you were first starting to do vocals, though, I'm curious because, you know, you've, you've always been one of my favorite lyricists, and I, I feel like you're such a gifted writer. Did you have, uh, who were some of your early lyric influences? And, like, do you see any sort of through line between what you were writing then to where you are writing now? Or is it completely fucking different worlds? I think I've always had kind of the same influences, and, like, they're just like their claws are kind of deep dug deep into me um you know i loved going back to like first and stuff um like the streets was one of my one of the album my first albums that i really really loved was original pirate material and like that album has stuck with me a grand don't come for free um is an album like i still probably listen to a few times a year just to go through um so I was definitely took a lot of inspiration from like Mike Skinner. I love Bear versus Shark. That that was more like in my college years, um, and I think I still in my head want to be in Bear versus Shark and just like everything I do has some sort of Bear versus Shark influence in it. Um, and I really loved his lyrics. Like I think those two lyricists early on 
were very influential to me. Um, and then like, I love, obviously like I love Craig Finn, um, got into the replacements. Um, yeah. And I, I love all those bands a lot. And I think everything I do still has like a version of all of those bands in it. Um, yeah. There's a charm to that too. Um, I got to ask, you know, like you've been sober now for, for a number of years and I'm yeah. curious, like how it was going from that, like what that experience was getting on stage once that was out of your life. Like, like, did all of those same anxieties come back, or like now all of your years of performing, like, did that help at all? Like, how did how did you handle that? I think uh, honestly, I was surprised. I think the very the first tour we did since I when I quit drinking was actually with you guys. Um, was with Touche in 2017. Yeah. And um, I didn't know how it was going to go, but it was, I think it was easier. I think you hit a tipping point with, with um, su substance abuse where, yeah, it makes things better for a little while or it tricks you into thinking things are going to be better for a little while. But then it just becomes such a crutch that it, ca it causes more anxiety than it ever relieved. So like by the end of it, I think drinking not only was making my anxiety worse, it was making me super depressed. Like I was looking back now, I didn't realize that at the time, but I was very, like, very depressed. I was extremely depressed, like, in the dark pits of negative qualities era, single mothers, um, super anxious. Like, it was really awful. So when I quit drinking, I was worried that it was going to be hard to get on stage and and do stuff. Because, like I said before, my first few shows ever were absolute <laughs> pumped. Right, yeah. But, no, it's way easier. It's way better. It's super easy, super better. Like, I've got no anxieties at all. Um, I think, like, it definitely helps playing, you know, shows for a few years, getting a bunch of tours under your belt. And it becomes, you know, more more muscle memory and routine. And, like, you know what to expect or whatever. But, no, I think it's it's way, way better. And I thought it was going to be worse. And I was really surprised that it was just it was just easy. And, like, all the relationships in the band – automatically got way better um nobody really in the band drinks or does anything anymore which is i think a sign of age but also just like makes things so much more pleasant and easier yeah um it's so no, funny yeah. how as as years go on like when you you know like the, you look at the like i've always you know i've always been a, a straight edge dork but like the other guys in my band have always drank and stuff and it's just so yeah. funny how like as years go on where it's like less and less alcohol on the writer and more and oh, more yeah. just like fruit vegetables <laughs> and like LaCroix you know yeah. like, lots of LaCroix uh -huh. some cookies maybe um <laughs> our writer's so ridiculous right now it's like cookies coke zero LaCroix um oh my god bags of candy that's the thing though about like not drinking is I, I didn't have really a sweet tooth before I quit drinking now I'm just like coke zero candy all the time oh man uh, which is bad for me but yeah. whatever yeah. i don't care yeah you replace one thing with another but, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what but, my dad says i mean i'm so you know you don't need me to tell you but you know i'm obviously i've always been very proud of you for getting over that because you know you were you were quite the party animal and yeah. from an from someone who only dealt with it in when i saw you uh it was funny but i was there was always the concern there where you're just like <laughs> <laughs> like yeah i believe one time when we played in toronto you got kicked out of the show i think three different times and it was very impressive i did uh, by chris callahan 
the well, I think the third time was by Chris right. Callahan, which which uh is was very funny in, yeah. in your own sort of way. Uh but, <laughs> that's a nice way to say it. Yeah, so like yeah. at the, you know, I feel like it's okay to look back on that and kind of chuckle at some of your your uh your wilder right. moments now that you are a healthier, sober person. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, it was I mean I think there were a lot of times where I sh- I should have quit. I should have realized like things weren't going, but it, there's just the the fog of war kind of like you're just totally. in it and you don't really notice. And like to be to be honest, a lot of my friends like London, Ontario, like it is a, a party school. Like it's a part sorry, it's a party town because there's two two huge colleges. Downtown is all students all the time. It's a huge drinking culture, and when you're in it, you don't really you know you don't realize that it's weird. Um, right to be drinking five nights a week because everybody around you is doing it. And really, if you're just drinking, you're like, Oh, I'm doing great. Like I'm not, <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah. doing speed all day. Um, but yeah, like getting out of it, it's, I definitely look back and go, wow. Like I'm surprised. I'm truly surprised I'm alive. Um, yeah. from, from some things like waking up under, I mean, there's been times where I, I, I've just woken up under billboards in a field and been like, what the, how the fuck did I get here and where am I, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely nice to be seven years sober. I feel like I don't even know. It's incredible. Other person <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Though. So it's, inc- it's, in- it's incredible. How, how did you see your songwriting change? How do you think? Like, do you, did you find anything different? Um, I think it became a lot more effective. Um, there, I just like, writing songs so much that I have more time for it now. Um, when I was drunk all the time, you know, I can kind of barely play guitar as it is, but you re- I really can't play guitar when I'm drunk. Um, so, you know, I think I thought like I was a wino poet and it was a lot of it was very bad and, it's much more efficient when you're sober and like, you can go, okay, I'm just going to pick up my guitar and I'm going to write for two hours now. And I'm going to do it kind of just for me for no reason. Um, it's, it's great. I, I really like it. I like writing sober. Um, I didn't, I think there was a bit of a bell curve there where you've got to get over your old habits of like, you know, I used to have a box of wine beside my desk. So if I started writing, I would just like plug away and I would just drink <laughs> really yeah. bad red wine all day and you know you just correct those habits um and and shift them into something else and now when i i write i just i do it because i i really want to and i enjoy the experience and like i'm not hard on myself and i i just really enjoy it and i mean i think any songwriter that really enjoys writing so it's like any other hobby it's something that kind of puts you to peace and like i have friends that do warhammer probably in the same meditative way that you or I or other people like sit down and, and write a song. It's just a nice thing to do. Um, yeah. It's I, I, again, it's so cool that you were able to do that. Cause you hear so often uh, the people that think that without this one thing that they're so reliant upon that there's no more spark, that there's no more creativity. It's like, right. it's they, for some reason they've convinced themselves of that. And then it's so heartbreaking when you feel that resistance uh, with their art because they had become so reliant upon it but for you to like almost seems like it almost like made you fall back in love with it in a different sort of way uh, is really cool to hear oh thanks thank you um yeah I mean like that's the thing I think people can trick themselves so easily you never know you don't yeah. know until you do it like I think definitely when I was in the thick of it 
you know, drinking a lot and like nobody in the band around that time really got along. And like, yeah, you start to worry, you start putting more pressure on yourself. And you're like, if I don't, you know, drink a bunch of beer, am I going to be able to write some stupid lyrics? I don't know. And you go, no, like, you know, don't take the chance, just keep drinking. But it's not, it's not really like that. Alcohol really does not help much um, in the long run with, with people. I'm sure maybe there's a couple exceptions, but like, no, it's it's great, and I I look at it too, like as a kind of a challenge. Like, can I can I still do this? Yeah, I'm just gonna make myself, and uh, you do that until it works. I think sometimes, and like, I find it a lot easier, and I find it a lot more enjoyable, and I've got a lot less like editing my notes app. <laughs> like, wow, that was what the fuck was I talking about? That's so stupid. Yo, that's a whole other conversation, but I want to just ask really quickly: when you are writing, are you do you ever do pen and paper anymore, or are you always on the internet, or not I, on the internet, on the on like a notes app kind of thing? I um I never do pen and paper ever. Uh, partly because like my handwriting is just so awful, and like I hold a pen really badly. <laughs> I hold a pen so bad, and my hand cramps up, and then like yeah. I don't like it. Yeah, I never do. I like typing on a on a computer more than anything like I like to sit down with like at the computer and write if I'm gonna write like long form stuff but for song lyrics and little ideas I definitely have some like notes um in my notes app that I just keep with like one-liners that I will you know open it up and throw one-liner in there but when I'm writing like lyrics to be honest I don't really write lyrics often like I I'll sit down with a guitar and I'll just kind of play a guitar and sing along and I'll just as the words come kind of write them down um and if we're doing stuff with single mothers like i'll kind of wait until all the music is done if i'm not a part of the music part and then once we're in the studio kind of like start throwing ideas out um yeah no it's just i was asking because i've you know throughout doing the show or just you know my interest in songwriting and lyrics and stuff like that throughout these all these years uh touring with people and whatever else like i've had the argument of not argument, but like I've had people present like the dangers of being able to just like quickly erase a line. You oh, know? okay. Right. Because right. like, you're not, you don't the quick, the ability to quickly self edit could potentially not sure. be good for you because like, sure. you're not letting it exist yet. Like you're not doing the thing where you're walking away from it and coming back. Um, and I'm guilty of that. I'll write, you know, yeah, six lines seven lines or whatever and then i'll like go back and then i'll then i'll reread it a bit oh, that's terrible right and just like get rid of it yeah. um but i mean like i you know have had plenty of people who talk to me about how great it is to just as soon as you wake up start doing stream of conscious writing and whatever and then like pulling stuff from there and whatever else but like yeah i was curious about your methods and it i mean it sounds like you and i are very similar in the the way that yeah. just you're listening to a song and you're just writing down whatever works and then if you think something stinks you can just quickly fix it oh yeah totally i mean so do you use paper and pen ever no never no yeah no i don't know anybody that does like it's i don't know it's fishy to me yeah there's there's i know there are there are those people that do it but it just uh i spend so much time thinking you know what i'm saying like i'm not just like going and going and going i've spent so much time thinking that like I feel like I would just end up drawing all over the page the entire time, <laughs> you know? When you, So when you write, like, do you sit down to write your lyric? Like, do you have lyric time and you're like, okay, I'm going to write some songs now? Or is it just kind of whenever it hits? Uh, when we get in the throat, like, um, 
I'm curious how similar you are with this, where like, I don't start writing lyrics until we have a few songs, like when we're like, we're gonna, we're gonna make a new album. So like, I'll mm. wait until the band has three or four songs musically written before right. I start writing, because I don't know what an album is gonna be yet. So right. like, it's nice to have different sonic like a different sonic palette going on where I'm like, okay, this feels like this kind of a tone of a song. This feels like this kind of a tone of a song and then start kind of going through how I'm feeling about these things in the moment. And then that's when I sit down and I'll just be like, okay, I'm going to try to write today. And then I'll just listen to the song over and over at nauseum until something starts to sort of un undo. And then I kind of start from there. Um, right. But like, I, yeah, I'm like, like, I'm not writing lyrics before any music's written, you know? Right, right. Because also because I'm really, I can be very uh, ridiculous where I don't like, like, if I'm really happy with a set of lyrics, like, I don't want to have to throw anything out if it doesn't fit. Right. Yeah. I, I know what you mean there. Yeah. We used to write songs all the time and I would work hard on the lyrics. Like, if, I, if I'm not doing, um, like, any music stuff for Single Mothers... Like, like negative qualities. I didn't really do music stuff. Mike would come to me with an idea and I would spend all this time on, on lyrics and then we would scrap the idea and I would get so like, man, you don't get it. Like, it's not easy. It's not do. easy to do this. Yeah, yeah man. Um, and so I got, like, I'd get kind of fed up in that sense. But like, do you, do you wait for a song or are you kind of always right? Like, do you come up with lines and kind of jot them down or? Uh, I don't have any, like my brain is, my brain doesn't work like that until we're having to write an album. Um, right, and then okay. it's kind of, it's kind of nice though, because then it becomes sort of this avalanche of all of this, like years off from doing it. Right. Um, which is, which can be nice, but also the anxiety kicks in and you can convince yourself like, man, I haven't done this in four years. Like, do I yeah. still have anything to say? Do I still have any sort of ability at this, you know? And so yeah. I go through about a month of, uh, hating everything I do. <laughs> Crippling self-doubt. Yeah, 1,000%. And then 10 amazing songs. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> but no, it's it's super interesting how that works. Um, and I, I, you know, and uh, to really get into the inside baseball, a fight that I sometimes get in with my band members is like, if we're writing a song and I'm not really feeling it, I, uh, you know, I'm sh it's it's shitty to say but like I'll be like I don't know that I want to write lyrics to this because I'm not really believing in this song and I don't want to like waste lyrics yeah. on this oh yeah that's you a know? conversation for sure how does that usually go I feel very lucky that the guys in my band have a lot of trust in me so right. like you know they no one's ever happy about it but like there's an understanding that I feel very lucky that they right you right know, give me which is very, yeah. which is a nice relationship at this point. It's, you know, oh, it's a great relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yo, hop to hop back into some some first stuff because I'm sure you and I could just end up having that conversation <laughs> all day. Um, yeah. what was the first time you ever recorded? Which band was that? Man, that was so the the very first time was Ran yeah. for Miles. Yeah, okay, in high yeah, school, yeah, yeah. and um, we I don't remember. I think Sean Abel, um, found somebody maybe in the Yellow Pages or something. Because at that point, we all, sorry, we all lived outside of London at this point. So in going into grade nine, my mom moved outside of London to like this little suburb of London. So we were all country kids at that point, um, living on the outskirts of town. And Sean found some guy with a recording studio in his basement and booked him to for an afternoon. And we went into our, my mom like drove us into downtown London to this guy's basement and we played off the floor 
Um, and he recorded it and at the end gave us like a burnt CD of our three songs. And that was, you know, that's what you did back then. You went to some guy's weird basement, (laughs) paid him, you know, 400 bucks and got a burnt CD of your songs that then you really haven't, (laughs) what do you do with those? Um, so yeah, that was my first experience. This was probably before MySpace. This is when I was in high school. So like 2002, 2001, 2002. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably starting or maybe starting to get around there. I forget even how you played music, showed music to people. Right. Um, I mean, MySpace didn't come. I didn't have a MySpace until I was out of high school. I know that. Yeah. Um, It's probably 2000. Probably college. Yeah. Somewhere like that. Um. Did uh do you still have that? Do you still have it around? I don't. No, no. I uh, I know I moved a lot and uh, I moved around and I mean I might be somewhere at my mom's house. Sean Abel unfortunately, he he passed away um after that band, after I quit that band, his band opened for my other band at Call the Office and he got in a car accident on the on the ride home and passed oh, away, which was so really sad. Yeah. But that that brought Mike and I, Mike Marino, who was also in the band, like closer. And I ended up moving in with those guys that year um, in in college okay. in a weird, like kind of roundabout. But Mike might have it. I don't know. He Mike went on to be a um, like an opera singer, which is crazy. Whoa. Yeah. So he's somewhere in Canada singing operas. I, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, what was what band did the first tour? Was that would that have been Single Mothers? Yeah, like the first real tours were Single Mothers, and then um, I played a bunch of shows with my friend Mike's band called Play Oliver, um, and they they were kind of like an emo um, like dashboard almost worship band. Yeah, and I played guitar in his band, and we would play around Ontario, um, but we never did any we never did anything outside of the province. But okay. we'd do like little weekenders here and there. But yeah, the the first real tour would have been Single Mothers for sure. Which one was that? That would have been our very first one in like 2012 or yeah, 2012. Um, Did we know each other then? I think so. I think this was around when you put out the EP with Secret Voice. I think okay. we did a tour either before that or after. My memory's kind of foggy, but we all got into a mini. I was gold prospecting at the time and... Uh, I bought a van in London, had my friend go pick it up, take it to a mechanic. The mechanic said the van wouldn't make the tour. And so we had to sell it. And then last minute, like three or four days before the tour was going to start, I, the only van I could find was like a minivan. And so we bought this minivan, had it borrowed a trailer from another band that was as big as the minivan, knew nothing about cars, knew nothing about torque or like (laughs) towing capacity. Um, got in this minivan and like went over to the States and, uh, and did that, this like basement tour. I think actually that was the year we played sound and fury. You put us on sound and fury. So that would have been like 2012, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, that was our first big tour. We had played like around Ontario before that, but yeah, that was our big, our first big tour was like playing basements in the States and it was, we booked it ourselves and, um, our transmission blew in Albuquerque and we were in Albuquerque for like, a week and then drove straight from Al- Albuquerque right to uh Sound and Fury. Oh man. Was that when you played Jake Lang's venue? Um I we played there a couple times. Yes, I think that was the first time we played. That was Gasworks. Yeah. Yeah, I think we played there with Gasworks and then we played with Title Fight at Gasworks, I think. And we played one other time at Gasworks. Yeah. Uh I just remember getting I think I was on tour 
I can't remember Jake Lang was on tour with us. Jake Lang now tours with like Turnstile and stuff, but like mm. I remember getting a text or something being like justice from single mothers just kicked a hole in the wall and i was, oh like, I was like i don't know what to say to that i'm sorry like, wow and like you... just oh i remember that that was so weird because justice is like usually the nicest calmest guy in the band yeah, and yeah, yeah. uh i remember jake pulling me aside and being like yo your boy's kicking holes in the wall you got to get him under control and i thought for sure it was like evan or mike or something and then it was and then it was justice and i was like whoa whoa yeah. What's going on here? And I still don't know, you know, what What's happened there. That? Yeah. Yeah. I thought for sure somebody else did it and was blaming justice, but. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. No. So Jake was there oh. with you guys when that was happening. I, yeah. I don't know why, you know, it's like in a funny roundabout way and I totally get it. It's like, I almost became the person who was responsible <laughs> for you guys at some aspect. Yeah. So like, I'm on tour somewhere oh, in the U S and man. I'm getting a text like your boy's kicking holes in the wall, Jake Lang's yeah. video. And I was just like, sucks i don't know it's i'm sorry <laughs> i'm so sorry about that no, it's funny. yeah you threw your hat in a weird ring yeah, i um, certainly did you know i we, i feel like maybe just for a listener it'd be kind of fun to sort of uh talk about our first you know experiences getting to know each other and stuff but like yeah as much as there was uh you know some uh difficult circumstances around our working together in the in the beginning there were like I think that I'm I'm looking back I'm so grateful for every aspect of it because having you guys be the first band that I ever release as a band on a new label like I dealt <laughs> with so many funny challenges and I was like yo I mean like if I dealt yeah. with this like this is going to be all good I'll yeah. never for, I'll never forget um when we had turned in the record I think to get pressed and Trey at Deathwish so I you know again if people don't realize this the label I do Secret Voice it's a subsidiary of death wish. So like, basically they were nice enough to give me the opportunity to do a record label where they sort of handle all the manufacturing and distribution while I get to deal with the, deal with the artist directly <laughs> and all of that. So basically Trey one day just goes, yo, is that band you're putting out broken up? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know what you're, I was like, what? And then he was like, yeah, I just went on their Facebook page and it says that they broke up months ago. And I just started laughing. And I was like, this is the definition of my, of everything I know about this band. And that makes oh, so much sense. Jeez. Yeah, that's really, that's really funny. Oh my God. It was such a weird time back then. Um, I feel terrible for it all now. We were just so confused and like, I was gold. I was up north, ten hours away, gold prospecting, and like Mike and Evan were in London, and we were had a constant like turnover of drummers. But yeah, man, I had so I quit the band to go prospecting because I, I didn't think it was going to yeah. go anywhere. And then I think the year before we met you, we opened for you guys at the Casbah, I think, in Hamilton, and we started chit chatting. Um, and then. Matt went to the Touche Amore show in Toronto and gave you like our, our CD or whatever of the seven inch. Is that what happened? Right. Yeah. I see this is where I get mixed up because I always, I can't I, like in my brain, it was Mike, but it might've been Matt. Yeah. Might've might been have Mike. Been Matt. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, this is a sweet story where like, you know, we were playing in Hamilton when we first met and uh, you guys were the local on the show and mm. I remember I was like setting up our merch table and you guys were playing and I just like I perked up in a way that I don't think I'd ever perked up before where I was like yo what is this this is so sick and I like was so enamored by the band 
and you came off stage and I went up to you and the first thing I said, I was like, are you a fan of the hold steady? And you just <laughs> yeah. smiled so big and you said, they're my favorite band. And I was like, yeah. this is so fucking cool. And I remember Jordan from Lotus Feud, also a huge hold steady guy. I told him, I was like, yo, we just played with this band that is like, it's like the hold steady, but if they were like, it was like played by like That's hardcore nice. kids or something like that. Like yeah. that was my interpretation of it. Um, and just like, yeah, I just like was so in love with that demo, but then I sort of, I held on to it. And then I sort of felt like maybe the band wasn't super active. So then when I got approached, like whatever it was, maybe a year later, I can't yeah. remember how the distance there with that CD that ended up becoming that first seven inch that I put out. Um, and listening to that, I was just like, I'm so excited, you know, kind of a thing. And I remember at that point, my relationship with Deathwish was um, really good. Still good now. But like, I would <laughs> basically tell them all the time, like, oh, you should sign this band or like, yo, check out this band. You should sign this right. band or yeah. whatever. And uh, and that was happening a few times. And then um, with you guys, it was like, I just had this like overwhelming sense of like, I want to be a part of this kind of a thing. So yeah. like I called Trey and you know, it's, I've told the story probably a million times on several different podcasts, but like, it was the funniest shit where it was like, uh, Hey Trey, there's this band I really believe in. I'd love to put this out. Like I, but also like, I think I want to start a record label. Like, is there any way you would let me do that kind of a thing? Yeah. And he was like, uh, I think I have to talk to Jake about it. Um, Jake Bannon, who's a co-owner of death wish. He was like, uh, hold on one second. And then he, I could hear him put the phone away from his mouth. And he's like, Hey Jake, do you care if Jeremy has a subsidiary? And you just hear very far in the back, Jake go, I don't give a shit. <laughs> so, so that's how the label started. And then, yeah. So single mothers ended up being the first release on that, on that, <laughs> And uh, yeah, so then it was like a couple weeks later, it was like Trey asking me, I think this band's broken up and <laughs> everything about it just became super funny and uh, a lot of work, but I'm still, yeah. you know, to this day, I'm still so, so unbelievably stoked and proud on that seven inch. It's like a beloved record that people still are seeking out and finding and buying, you know, which is cool. Yeah. I mean, we, we we still would have been broken up if it wasn't for, for you starting that <laughs> thing. So, I mean, you completely, I don't know how much smoke you want blowing up your ass right now, but like it completely changed my life, changed all of our lives. Cause like I was, you know, I was very prepared to be a gold prospector for my career and like my life or whatever. And then I had quit the band. We kind of announced it. Well, what happened was I told those guys to keep going with the band. I was like, you guys should keep going. You seem to believe in it. I had no faith in it at all. I didn't think anybody liked my, <laughs> I thought I was not very good. And I was like, no one's going to like this. No one, uh, I've never been in a successful band. The band I was in before, I thought, you know, had potential and it didn't go anywhere. So I was like, uh, you know, whatever, this isn't going to go anywhere. So I went up north and I, I basically was like, you guys should just find another singer. You can use the lyrics and whatever and keep it going if you want. And they did that for like a few shows and like in the, the Christian girls video, I'm not in it because Mike is singing. Holy and shit. Like, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Wow. And like, so they kept it going for a while, but I guess they decided, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't going to work. Uh, <laughs> and so and let's just, you know, let's focus on that for a second. For people listening, the music video doesn't even have Drew in it because it was. A... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this is all around the time where you're throwing your hat in going like, okay, yeah, I'll put this band. <laughs> it's incredible. It's fucking incredible. And I guess we just never thought to mention it to anyone. But I, so then, yeah, I guess Matt talked to you and like, yeah, you wanted to put it out. And that's what kind of gave us all like another, 
another breath of like, okay, maybe I can come down because it was 10, it was a 10 hour drive. Um, and I didn't have a car, so I had to like borrow a car or actually I had to take a train, um, from Swastika, Ontario, all the way to London, well, all the way to Toronto, and then another train to Toronto, uh, from Toronto to London, every time we wanted to play a show or have a, have a band practice. Um, so, you know, I'm going broke doing this. I had already gone broke starting the band. I was a real estate agent before this. And then I got into um, a big fight with this guy I rented this. Basically, like they hired this guy who was sleeping in all the vacant apartments. He would let he was going through a divorce and he was an alcoholic. Everybody that works in real estate is a fucking alcoholic. I swear to God, this guy was just letting himself into all these apartments. And he let himself into an apartment that I had rented out to my friend and who was moving in that night. And so I rent this place out downtown London, Ontario, Party Central. It's like Thursday night, bars popping. I'm at the bar. I get this call from my friend Ace and he's like, hey, I, there's like a fucking dead guy in the apartment. I swear to God, like, what do I do? And I went, wait, what? What's he look like? And he described what he looked like. And I was like, that's not a dead guy. That's Frank. Um, and I, <laughs> I ran over to the apartment, right? And um, I, you know, I chugged my beer, ran over to the apartment. And this guy, Frank, is just passed out like a starfish on the on the floor of this of this place. And I start kicking. I'm like, Frank, you got to get the fuck out of here. This is, you don't live here. You got to go home. And he I swear to God, this happened. Like I've played I've replayed this story in my head to, uh, so many times to try and make sure that I'm not just misremembering some movie that I've seen. But he gets up, his pulls his pants down and just starts pissing all over the living room floor of this guy's apartment. And they're in there watching. So they're screaming at me. I'm screaming at Frank. I kick Frank. He falls over. Piss goes everywhere. Um, and they, he's on the phone with his dad. Of course, his dad's a lawyer and his hands the phone to me. And he's like, you're going to give my son his money back. Um, we're going to sue you. We're going to sue your, uh, I work for Remax. We're going to sue Remax and all this stuff. And the next day I went in to talk to Jason, the broker about it. And I was like, Jason, you have to fire this guy. Like he's a liability. You're dragging me into lawsuits now. He's pissing everywhere. And Jason is like, I mean, at the time, my job was really just driving him around because he had a DUI. Like he was, there were, there was, it was such a crazy office. Yeah. He, had, he used to call everybody in and fire them almost like bi-yearly over speakerphone he would just fire everybody in the office <laughs> it, was like a, shit. it was like a psycho situation like i thought gold prospecting was weird working um residential london ontario real estate was way weirder um but i i talked to him i was like you gotta fire this guy right now and jason wouldn't fire him and so i quit and i walked over to the bar that i was at the night before and started the band that 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 night basically and then i put all my savings into like you know, trying to get it going and also like my alcoholism until I had no money left. And that's when I had to kind of go up North and like quit the band. Um, yeah. And then they kept it going. But yeah, when you, st when you wanted to put the seven inch out, they were like, you know, you should really like, we should give this a try. Like death wish is a, is a cool label. Jeremy's great band. Like secret voice is going to be great. Like we should really try it. And then I was, but I was still up North and that's when we got like approached by like a manager and like stuff. And, you know, I very, I had very little control in the band back then. Cause I was the one that was away from everything. Right. So we had this guy that like came in and tried to like help us make decisions. And like, you know, it was just a very chaotic time. And yeah. uh, if I could go back and redo it all, I would redo it all completely differently. But it was, um, it, <laughs> it was like, 
it seems like a dream, like the how fucking crazy it all was. But um, yeah, eventually we started. You got us on some tours, and like, really, you just what I mean from all this is like I wouldn't be still playing. I'd still be playing music, but nobody would know who I am or like the band or anything if it wasn't for you coming in at at literally the most chaotic time in our lives after we had broken up the band and said, hey, I'll put this out for for you. The only interest we'd had from anybody outside of London, Ontario. Um, Uh, And it's so, you know, reflecting back, like I remember, you know, once you guys had gotten uh, the manager, you know, certain things got weird uh, with our, with my relationship with the band. But I remember you always being the one that like, you and I would talk and I think it was because you were you did have that disconnect a little bit from it that like you and I would talk and I could tell that you were having a you know like maybe you were a little sad about how certain things were going or whatever I might just be projecting that just because I was a little sad oh, about no, how I things was were super, going. yeah I was super sad about a lot of stuff I didn't want to do I didn't want to do like almost anything <laughs> anything that ended up happening in those years and that was like I felt very boxed in and outnumbered and like and these things happen, you know what I'm saying? And like, I, you it know, does happen. Yeah. Even when you guys were, when negative qualities ended up coming out, like, I mean, I still to this day, I'm like, that is one of the fucking sickest records in the entire, like, I'm, I think that record is unbelievable. And, um, I remember visiting you guys when you were recording that. And that seemed like a really tough situation where like i think maybe you guys didn't have a lot of songs written at the moment or something like <laughs> we, that. Have, we showed up in la with nothing written we, yeah. we had like two songs written and like what you was know. the what was the driving force to get you guys out there without with being sort of unprepared was that just like the nature of the band where you're like we'll figure it out when we get out there so for people listening you guys recorded your first lp uh with joby from the bronx yeah um, yeah which and i love cool- i yeah, which is a sorry. cool idea because I think yeah. that the angst that especially those early Bronx records have very much very much makes sense with the music that you guys were especially making at that time. So like I thought that was a brilliant choice to do. Um, but yeah, I remember I visited you in the studio for a day or something like that, and I, and I could I felt the stress from you when we were hanging out. Yeah, there's I mean it was a it was a really awkward situation. Like I love I want to say right now like I love Joby and. I am like, and, and, and Ben, who was like our manager at the time and our label, um, guy at the time, like Jamie, I, I, I'm friends with all those guys now, but it was a very tenuous working relationship. And like, I didn't think it was a good idea to go to LA to record. I didn't want to do it. I wanted to stay in London. I wanted to do it ourselves. I wanted to do it with the people that we did the seven inch with. Cause I felt like a, a loyalty to those guys too and I wanted to like kind of bring up my friends with me and like I really wanted to do all that but I was also up north still and like those decisions weren't you know it's a lot it was, to put on yeah it totally. was kind of a vote yeah and I'm really glad we went to LA um and that was really that was really like the label I think the label was like you've got to get started on this like you got to get going and um I with single mothers at that point like I stayed away from the music like I wasn't up to me um that was a lot of of mike um and evan and i think mike is a is a great songwriter he's a really fantastic guitar player and we worked um well together partly i think because i just had so much respect for his guitar playing also we kind of hated each other and i don't think either of us wanted to give an excuse to (laughs) the other one of being like you know uh you suck or you drop the ball or whatever so there was definitely like a competitiveness there but when we went we weren't all getting along and we brought 
our drummer at the time. And, uh, and I remember Joby being like, you know, you guys have to, and, and to his, uh, benefit, like we hadn't been practicing cause I was up North and he had, he had recently moved and he was like, you know, you guys, you guys have, you showed up without any songs, you didn't practice. And I mean, we've been tracking drums for three days and it's just not working. So like either you all go home or, or, you know, you send our, your drummer home and, we end, so we ended up sending our drummer home and, and recording the album with Joby, but I wanted to do it in London. I was very against the idea of going out of London to do it. I felt a loyalty to London. And what happened was we ended up scrapping that whole record and flying back to London and doing it all in London, <laughs> redoing the whole thing in London where I wanted to do it in the first place I with totally, the people I wanted to do it with. I totally and I was really about that. And I was really pissed because we had spent like, you know, we also yeah. I was so broke. We yeah. were all had no money at all. And so we had a little advance from this label and we had wasted it all at, <laughs> going to LA. LA thing. Yeah. So, not, so literally no no moment Nothing. of that there, recording ended up on No. There are wow. two versions of negative quality. Did any There's, songs end up getting written in LA though? Um so we did um Everything in LA, we had, we kind of wrote, well, we wrote some like Overdose we had written in London before we left. Patricide, we had like an idea for, um, I think like Feel Shame, we had an idea for, and the rest of it, we kind of like did off the cuff. Um, the only songs that we didn't do in LA were, I think, Half Lit, we wrote back in London, and maybe Marbles, I think we wrote in London. Okay. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, there's two versions of everything else. And like after we sent our drummer home, Mike played drums on the record for a bit. And then it didn't, for some reason, they were like, no, that's not going to work. And so we, we hired like a guy to play drums on it that I forget his name, but I think he was in like My Chemical Romance or something. And he came into the studio and like played drums to the, to the songs. And then we were still like, no. In, wait, in London? No, in LA. Sorry. So, like, is it Jared in LA. Alexander? Jared. Yeah. 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 So, there's a version of Negative Qualities where Jared's playing drums on it um, from the Joby session. Yeah. But we I ended don't know up still. If I real... So, Jared Alexander played, like, filled in for my band Hesitation Wounds for a show. Like, oh, I've wow. Known, I've known Jared for a fucking, for a long. I don't know if I even knew that that happened. Oh yeah, God. I think I mean it was after we were in LA, so I think yeah. he he just showed up at the studio maybe and, and played drums, did a session. He's a hired gun guy for sure. Yeah, yeah. So that makes all the sense in the entire world. And his he drumming played, sounds great. Yeah. Oh yeah, he played in like Suicide File. He played drums on American Nightmares background music. Like he's like a right. He, you know, he's he's the guy who you can count on. But man, that's crazy. Uh, you know what song I love that I wish was on the internet? It's still one of my favorite songs. Is that brand new city song? That was my favorite too. Dude, <laughs> that was that Joby's favorite too. Joby was like, that should be the single. And rips. everybody in the band, the label, the manager, everybody was like, no, it's not even going on. Oh my God. Like, That's my favorite one. That's oh where the God. negative qualities name comes from. Is that there's a line in that song? Dude, that song, you gotta get the you gotta get that song on the internet. That song's <laughs> yeah, like not it's you, I don't know where anything it. is. God damn it. And I was so far removed from the band at that point. Like, I don't know where anything is. I finally like found the jared songs i'll send them to you if you want to hear oh, like, i'd love jared. to hear it i think uh, I them on a... yeah i remember at one point me trying to bullshit everyone into doing a drug church single mother's split oh, seven I inch still mad that that didn't happen yeah. yeah oh my god and i think 
I think I remember fighting to have the brand new city song on it because I remember think maybe you had sent it to me and you were like telling me it wasn't going to be on the record, but then it ended up being on that bonus seven inch with the LP. But goddamn, just thinking about the idea of like the drug church split (laughs) with that brand new city song on it makes me want to throw my computer because that's such a good idea. I'm still mad about it. I, we went on tour with Drug Church a few years ago, and one of the first things they did was bring that up. They were like, "So we're why didn't we do that?" Oh, uh, listen, it. It, I was my idea. I wanted to do it. I wanted yeah. to do it so bad that we did those acoustic songs, and we were gonna maybe oh, put those right. acoustic songs with it. But like again, I mean, I was just outnumbered. I didn't have much control over stuff at that point. So I think I, the label was like, you can't put out a, a seven inch until like the and still not have a record or something. It was some stupid thing. Do like you mind that, if I but. do you mind if I ask how things ended up ended with the because you were that label came you came that record came out on a label called Hot Charity, which was like a, a subsidiary of XL, which is like a huge label right. that has like Radiohead and stuff like that. And I know that your manager at the time uh, was a part of that label. Maybe that was his label or something. But when you guys ended up continuing to be a band and then i know that record got re-released on dying alone which is the label you're still on now um and then you you know the the follow-up record our pleasure ended up being on dying alone was there any sort of like trouble you guys went through getting off that label or was it just sort of like a everyone wiping their hands of it there wasn't much like i think from my understanding of the hot charity situation they were they were like um they put a lot of money into a few releases they only had like a couple, they had like Willis Earl Beale, um, Rat King, who were, uh, I don't know if you know, like Wiki 93. Um, that was his, his like rap group before he went okay. solo. Um, a great Brooklyn rapper, really, really great. Uh, or not Brooklyn, like Manhattan. Um, and they had us. And I think they put a lot of money into the first two releases before Negative Qualities. And it, I don't think it did super great. Um, and then like a bunch of the negative quality stuff ended up, I think, like taking a bit of a hit because they went, I'm spec, I think I'm like kind of speculating here, but I think like they might've gone over budget on a couple things like mm. from those releases. And then when kind of we went through um, to the next stage of the band, which is like the our pleasure stage. And like, we kind of had a falling out and Mike and Evan and I kind of went separate ways. Um, I also went separate ways with the, our, the management. Um, and so it was just kind of a clean break of like, well, I'm start, I'm going to burn this to the ground and start completely new. And, yeah. you know, I kind of kill all ties. And at that point, I think the label was like, yeah, this, this hot charity thing doesn't make any money. So get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, it's sure. fine. yeah, yeah, it was yeah, just, yeah. it was very casual. I, I emailed them and was like, do you care? Like, do you want it? Do you really want to do this? And they were like, if you want to do something else, go for it. And I said, okay. Was there any, do you know of any hiccups that came from getting that record re-released on Dine Alone? Was it just fine? I li- I think I literally just emailed them and said, hey, I'm going to do this. Do you guys care? And they went, nope. And awesome. that was kind of it. They were just like, yeah, we just want to, they were like, We're, we want, uh, to, the, to their um, credit, they were very cool about it, actually. I think the, their response was like, we really love this record. You know, we're just, we're happy if it, if it lives on. And I that's said, awesome. that's, that's great. Well, thank you. And very uh, cool. Yeah. And so that's kind of how that happened. Very. Well, what was your first overseas tour? Like uh, Europe, UK, was that oh around that time? <laughs> that, so that was after we, so we recorded at the Bronx. Um, yeah. 
with the Bronx, we recorded, we lived in their studio, um, in their practice space at that time. So like, way out they in were the valley, yeah, way out in the valley. And like, we, so I, I don't know how a lot of this happened, but they agreed to take us to the UK right after that recording session. Um, but at that point, when we signed on to that, they didn't know that we were going to have to send our drummer home. So we were on the books to like finish recording on like a Sunday or whatever. Then we were going to play their bi-coastal album release shows for Bronx 4 um, in LA and New York. And then from New York, we were all going to fly to the UK. And they were so cool. They, they let us come on their bus. So our first UK Europe tour was on a tour bus, which was awesome. Yeah. But we didn't have a drummer. Um, so we had, to, we had to cancel the bi-coastal album release shows, which I was super bummed about because I really wanted to play New York and I really wanted to play LA with the Bronx. And we had to fly back to London and we picked up Brandon Jagurski, who I think you know, um, yeah. who played with us. And we practiced with him one time and then flew with him to the UK and met up with the Bronx. And his very first tour ever was on, the, on a tour bus with the Bronx. That's um, sick. How did the shows go after all of that? I was a, I was not a very good front person. Um, I, I was like, I don't know what I was trying to do, but I think I was very, um, antagonistic toward the crowd. Like I wasn't like a happy front guy. I was like, fuck you guys. Like, I I don't know why I had it in my head that that's, that's what I wanted to do. And so when I was watching Matt play, like he's such a good front man. Um, like such an, he was really took me to school on like, on um on etiquette and like stage banter and crowd work and stuff and uh i kind of so it started out i mean the crowds were great everybody loves the bronx um they were pretty good for us i think we had an okay response but i remember one guy coming to the merch table after the show and being like hey man why let's like you don't have to you don't have to be like uh the way you're being and i was like oh yeah that's true i guess yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Like, and this was in the uk right. not not germany or something yeah no this was in the uk because yeah, i could wow, understand yeah. them yeah um and that kind of gave me pause and i was like yeah man you're right like i don't know why i think i, I wanted it to be like this kind of like paul westerbergy like sort of edgy sort of yeah yeah but it's not my character really. And it, and I was, it was definitely like, I wanted to put on, like, I think I went through a point in the band where I really wanted to put on a persona that wasn't me. And I part, that was partly like dealing with, you know, anxiety and being miserable and depressed and yeah. kind of like, um, and I think like I was kind of toying with that, um, on that tour and like, you know, it didn't work <laughs> and I sure. stopped doing it, but I learned a lot from that. Um, and I, I, I just think he's a, a fantastic, he's a fantastic singer for that genre of music. I don't think there's anyone better than him um, at that, but also just the crowd work. Like I, he's, he's so good at, at putting on like a, a real show and um, he takes a lot of that weight off, you know, the, the band and yeah, it was, so I, I picked up some life lessons for sure. Man, I've seen the Bronx do like, I remember seeing them do like I think they were like first of three on a tour that was like the Bronx Converge and Mastodon or something. This is oh so fucking long ago. And I remember just like them coming up, getting on stage in front of that kind of an audience. And by the end of the set, the entire place was a fan. Like he Jeez. just can get everybody interested. Yeah. He's just it's so its own craft. Charismatic and funny and the fact that he's just constantly hopping too you, <laughs> yeah. he's got to have the strongest calves in the oh, game oh for sure yeah you know? yeah always hopping in, in his vans 
<laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Um, yo, so I don't know if I realized with the Our Pleasure record that uh, Wade McNeil produ- like was a producer on that. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I somehow missed that. So, yeah, Wade of uh, Alexis on Fire. Uh, how did that come together? Was he someone that you were already familiar with? Was that an idea from Dine Alone? Like, how did that come together? I did know Wade. So my cousin um, played in a band called Bedouin Sound Clash from uh, here. And he also played in one of Wade's other bands called The Black Lungs. And so I kind of knew Wade through my cousin's bands. And well, and like Alexis on Fire were the biggest band to come out of Southwestern Ontario for ages. And I had seen Alexis on Fire a bunch of times. And and so I kind of just knew Wade through the scene. But I mean, I threw together our pleasure like very hectic, like our pleasure was really um, like a spite record. Like it was after everybody, I had just kind of like left everybody. It burned everything to the ground. And I kind of just said to myself, there's no way I'm not going to record a record this year. I'm doing it no matter what. And I kind of like brought justice on board and Brandon and everybody, I booked the studio and I didn't have any idea for producer. Wasn't going to have a producer. And I guess we're just got to Wade that we were going to go record this record because he had recorded at that studio too and knew the engineer. I guess the engineer had called Wade and Wade just called me and he was like, Hey, do you have like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm just, I don't know. Honestly, I'm going in there and I'm just going to do whatever happens. It just happens. That's kind of always what the band has done. And he was like, well, you know, if you want to, I can come and kind of give you some guidance and give you a hand. And I said, thank God. Okay. (laughs) As long as somebody in there knows what they're doing, this is going to be okay. Cause like there was, I didn't Dynalon ended up putting it out, but I put, I was paying for all of this out of pocket and I had no money. So, um, it was like, this has to work out. Um, and so he just kind of offered and I, and it was great. And he came in and like, I had it in my, in my head that I wanted to kind of make like a Brit pop type record, yeah. which it didn't really turn out being, you know what I mean? But, yeah. um, we recorded the eight... of it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was listening to Blur nonstop going okay. into that record. And I yeah. had it in my head that I wanted to make kind of like, yeah, like a 90s kind of Britpop punk record. I'm very pleased with Our Pleasure. I think sonically it's one of our better records. And I think Wade did a really, really good job on like getting tones. And Darren, the engineer, did a fantastic job. And I it has some some songs that I really like on it. But we were, yeah, we recorded 18 songs in 14 days for that, um, for that session. And like, it was... Uh, the it songs that didn't make the record is that what the EP, the Meltdown EP, is? No, we recorded we recorded those songs like a week after we oh recorded our pleasure, and we wrote those in the studio and recorded them um, wow. on the spot. Yeah, and I was so... curious about Wade's job on it because I didn't know if he was someone who actually did the. It sounds like you were saying like got good tones and stuff like that. Like I didn't know yeah. if he was more of a vibe songwriter guy or like like giving just like uh suggestions or or how involved he really was so that sounds like he was involved on a technical aspect as well yeah for sure he was he was involved in technical aspect um definitely i mean i know they worked quite a bit on tones like on vocal takes too he'd be like you know you can you can do that again probably and i'd be like all right yeah sure (laughs) um he was just a and but he was also a vibe guy and like he was great to have around he's very funny and like i've i'm still good friends with wade we had a pandemic band that we started um during the pandemic with like a few really cool songs with the, it's me and ian romano from um do you know dan dan romano dan daniel romano in the outfit they're kind of like um um and uh 
and I'm still friends with Wade. I think he's got a great ear and like, but yeah, for, from what I remember, it was a lot of tone stuff and like, yeah, he had input and it was during that session that I quit drinking. So I was still drinking kind of up until like the end of that session. And that's okay. where I kind of, my memory gets a little bit clearer. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, and then I was so, you know, like, I feel like one of the things that I find so interesting about you and single mothers as a whole is like how each record can just be a completely different thing. And it still somehow makes sense within the overall universe of what single right. mothers is. Whereas the through a wall record ended up just being like, just like a hardcore record, just like a fast hardcore record. And yeah. I, I'm wondering, you know, like, I don't know how much we were really ever talked about it, but like you recorded that with John Drew, who like has done like career suicide and like a ton of fucked up stuff. Yeah. Um, all these like beloved, you know, Canadian hardcore bands. Um, what was the inf what like what was the 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 thought process on doing going that direction on that um <laughs> i i love john drew i don't know i i don't know he probably won't listen i don't know if he likes me anymore but i really really like john drew and he had mixed negative qualities and he oh. mixed our pleasure actually wow um okay. so we had a pre-existing relationship and with through a wall um I had always been friends with like Ian Romano who plays drums and uh, some guitar and stuff on through a wall. And he had just hit me up. We'd always been talking about starting bands and he also plays in career suicide. He's like the drummer for career suicide. Okay. And he's been, he's done stuff with fucked up. And uh, he was just like sending me some demos and asked me what I thought when we were on tour. And I was like, I, I was like, this is great. And, but I said like, every time I start singing on something, it ends up sounding like, it's like, single like single mothers. mothers. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> so yeah. I was like, he was like, well, do you want to do like a single mother's record? And that's kind of where, where it popped in from. And I think we had just done our pleasure. Um, and like my favorite songs to play live are always the fast ones um, mm -hmm. with like negative qualities and stuff too. And, and from the back catalog, I, I just really was in the mood to like, I really wanted to go and play some fast songs. And I felt like writing some fast songs and Ian's, the fastest drummer I've ever met. He's such a good drummer. I don't even think he plays to a click on that record. I think it's almost all just like, you know, off the floor kind of uh, yeah. in it. And so, you know, that's another record where I kind of, I didn't really do much with the music other than give kind of a direction. I was like, I like this vibe. This is a cool vibe. He kind of sent me a few demos. And from there we worked on it. He, him and his brother, Dan kind of worked on some songs and we were sending them back and forth. I'd kind of demo some vocals here. And, uh, then we just booked it in with John Drew. I was like, okay, this is enough for a record. Let's just do it. And uh, we went in and, and recorded that record like super quick. Um, wow. And, and that's kind of, that was pretty much it. That was like the hardest I've ever worked on a record. I'm very proud of that record. Um, I'm very proud of like, I think some of my best lyrics are on that record. And like the first version. So I was trying to, we were trying to mix it while I was on tour and John Drew and I and Ian were all in a group chat. And I think, I'm not very technical and I don't think what I was trying to say was getting across. And so like the mixing kind of on the first version, I don't think John was very happy with because he thought like I was saying something else, but I wasn't. And then at the end of these, like, you, you, I don't know if you know what it's like trying to talk to people through text when you're not very good at it. It's like right. a nightmare for me. It's just so much anxiety. And I'm like, I don't know how to say this. I don't know. I don't want to annoy anybody. I don't want to offend anybody. Right. Um, so at the end of it, I just threw my hat off and I was just like, if this is it, this is just, the, this is the record. This is done now. Send it to get the master. And I don't want to talk about mixing anymore. Yeah. Um, but then we kind of like remixed it and it was a little bit more, 
the way that I think John envisioned it and the way that like Ian and I probably envisioned it just a little bit cleaner. But um, yeah, that's kind of how that record started. It was very organic. It was just like some some quick demos sent back and forth. And like, I, I really like Ian. I've still played with Ian and he uh, he's very good. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and nobody's awesome. what's nice is I don't have anybody around me to say no to anything like. Right. It, the ball's in my court all the time, which is great. Sometimes it, <laughs> I can kind of go overboard on other times. There is nobody to be like reel it in Thompson, but um, I, I yeah, I just kind of wanted to do it. Looking for an extraordinary coffee? Look no further than Heartwork Coffee. With eight years of excellence and proudly roasting in the vibrant city of San Diego, California. Visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to explore a wide range of single origin and blended coffees to suit your taste preference. On a personal note, co-founder Rob Moran has played in so many bands that have inspired me personally, like Unbroken and Some Girls, for example, and it's been amazing watching Heartwork thrive all these years. The coffee is amazing, and I'm thrilled to support this company. Once again, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to place an order. That is H-E-A-R-T work coffeebar.com. So I wanted to um, just talk very briefly about a couple of the records before we start talking about Roy, the new record. Um, I feel like you really hyped up your prolificness especially like kind of over pandemic stuff where like you really were writing so much um the bubble record which is so interesting uh was that was a pandemic record right that was yeah that was like really just me trying to figure out how to use ableton i like switched from garage band to ableton over the pandemic and to be honest i was never really planning on releasing that um it was but just I love that be like, you did because it's, I mean, I only you would be like, yeah, this is me trying to figure out how to do something. And then you still throw <laughs> your band name on it and then put yeah. it out. Uh, did you ever perform any of those songs live? And I think, you know, you just mentioned, uh, you know, answer that question in a second. But you just mentioned how no matter what the music, as soon as you start singing on it, it sounds like single mothers. I think that yeah. that's exactly what Bubble is, where it's like as soon as you... Right start singing on it so you're like yeah of course this is single mothers yeah. this is this is that kind of a thing it's like you and i think like yeah. aaron from me without you is someone else who's also like that or it's like it's right. such a distinct voice that you just hear it and you go i know what that is um yeah. so yeah did you ever do any of these bubble songs live i haven't yet like i would like to for sure um i think it would be really cool we we opened for sleaford mods once in um at like uh primavera sound or something in a tiny little tent and like yeah. I love Sleaford mods and I thought it's so cool to just show up with a, a laptop and press play and like do your thing. Yeah. And, um, over the pandemic, like, like I said, I loved the streets. I still love the streets. They're one of the most influential bands in my, and that's kind of my like version of that kind of world, but totally. I can't without a cool British accent. It just sounds so lame, um, to <laughs> try and do talk. Has anyone so tried to do a feeling. real strong Canadian accent rap? thing? Oh, I don't know, mate. Um, <laughs> I don't know guy. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that, I mean, I wasn't really planning on doing it, like releasing that or, or whatever. But like, um, I don't know. I I just stopped caring about people not liking stuff that I do. To me, it's all just my art. And this is, you know, I I, I make art and it's once it's I'm done with it, it's out in the world. And um, 
and that's that's it. So that's kind of the attitude I, I have. I don't think I don't know. I've had a few nice messages about it, um, but I don't know if it really people like it or whatever. But I would like to play a, a few songs. I would like to do a tour one day where I just have a laptop and I press play and I go blah 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 blah, and everybody it's, applauds. I mean, I, I think it's really interesting, and I, I think it would be nice. very cool to see you pull that off. I mean, even if it was like a, a fucking encore at, a, at one of your normal, you know, at one oh, of the full band shows, idea. just like roll right. out there and play one or two songs off of it or something, you know? Yeah, that could be cool. Because, um, yeah, it would be difficult to deal with like the, all right, everybody who's playing the drums and the, you ever want to stand off to the <laughs> side in the middle of the set for me to do this? But yeah, uh, no, no, I think it's, uh, I think it's pretty interesting and very, very cool. Um, and then the Everything You Need record, was that, when did that record start to get flushed out? Because again, that's back to being full band. Um, right. And did you write the music for that on your own? Or was that like the full band collaborative process again? Or how did that come together? Um, so we started, I guess I, I, I did the music for everything you need. That's like the first, I had written like a couple songs on our pleasure, um, like demo, like written guitar parts and stuff for, but everything you need was, um, I kind of went through, I go through these stages often and I, you know, it's mental health stuff or whatever, but I, I can get kind of just in a, in a creative zone and, and I can't get out of it. Like I just have to do, I feel like I've got these songs and if I don't write them right at this moment, like the world is going to end and my life is old. like, I just get these crazy impulses and everything you need was one of those where I just woke up one day and picked up a guitar and started writing. And then, a week went by where I just wrote from the time that I woke up and to, to when I went to bed every day and I just wrote and demoed and demoed and demoed and like would program drums and, you know, play bass and guitar and, and write these songs. And then at the end of the week, I just sent them to Peter and Danny, um, Danny kid, uh, London, Ontario, who, who's been plays with us on and off. And I said, I think this is a, I think this is a cool record. Like, I think this is a cool idea. I was listening to a lot of new wave stuff at the time. And I was like, I don't know if this is like a single mother's record or something, but I think this could be a cool thing to do. And I need to go record it right now. Like I need to get this done. I just, I need it over with. Um, and so we went in to the studio uh, where we recorded negative qualities and it, I booked three days there with my friend Kyle and we just went in and recorded it real fast. And it was like, okay, this is it. I can breathe now. <laughs> like these songs wow. are done. This is out. And uh, then we went on to the foundation went on tour with pup. I sent it to Jay mass to get it mixed. And then the pandemic happened and I was like, all right, I can't oh, okay. really. And so, it, um, I so was, that was recorded. So that was before. That was before so you held on yeah. to that record for a while then. Yeah. Yeah. I held on to it for a bit and I wasn't sure if we were ever going to release it. I wasn't sure if I was going to release it under single mothers. Um, but I was going to ask a lot I was going to ask you about that. You know, like I, the, unfortunately the first example I come up with is someone, you know, a bit problematic, but like, I was curious if like, you know, like the sun kill moon, Mark Kozlik thing, where it's like, when he does records, it's like, whether, you know, it's like, right. it might sonically sound the same, but sometimes he puts it under Mark Kozlik. Sometimes he put it under sun kill moon. And I was curious if you got to that point too, where you were like, I don't know if I want to make this be a Drew Thompson foundation thing, or if I want to make this be a single mother's thing, like, and how you decide right. those things. I think like when it, what it comes down to is um, with single mothers, it's everything already is so varied. There's been so many creative forces in and out of the band that I don't feel an allegiance to a certain genre or a certain sound as much. It's mostly the tone of the song that I'm like, 
okay, this is this is me in single mothers. Like this is my tone. These are I'm still pulling from my my personal lyric style and my personal vocal style is still pulling from the same influences that it does as always. Like um so when it comes down to that uh, with like my solo stuff, like my Drew Thompson Foundation stuff, I I have a different set of influences that I kind of associate with that band, which is like just a different time in my life. Um, my younger years, I guess, yeah. where I like I'm pulling from like 90s pop rock, like you know, yeah, the Everclear, Jim Blossoms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I kind of I just decided that, OK, you know what, with this band, I'm going to you know, live out my childhood influences. And with single mothers, I'm just going to do like single mothers is kind of my canvas and I'm going to do whatever I want with it. And I don't care, you know, if it pisses people off or if, you know, people don't like it. This is, I've been in this band for so long at this point. I've had so many people come and go. There's been so many creative forces that like, I feel like this is my time to give my like put my stamp on it, I guess. Yeah. And that's where I felt like, okay, everything you need, this is, this is more of a, a me single mother's record but it's still a single mother's record um and so that's yeah that's kind of like where that came from and it gets a little bit more touchy like i don't sing about personal stuff in single mothers almost ever really i, I tell a lot of little stories i might have it from my point of view but everything you need does have like a little bit more of of myself in it like i have a song called throw on that which is about this like reoccurring dream that i have where my grandma's comes back to life and like I wrote that song. I had that dream and I wrote that song. And like, normally I wouldn't make that a single mother song because it's too personal. But mm. um, I was like, okay, on this record, I'll, I'll keep it on here. Uh, Cause I think it fits. Um, but that yeah, that's kind of where it came from. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Let's talk about the new record. Uh, it's called Roy. Um, I feel like this is your guy's best record. Uh in in for me personally since like negative qualities like i've liked all the records you guys have done but like right out the gate that for the sad dumb game single i was like oh yeah this is so hooky <laughs> thanks i i really 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 like it i you know i've it it came out last friday right officially yeah yeah and so like i'm now getting to sit with it and take it in um right and there's so many fucking great songs on this thing, man. Like I, I'm, I'm so stoked on it. And again, not to diminish anything you guys have done since uh, Negative Qualities. Just, I think my relationship to that is just because it was still when the band was fresh and new, and I was so, you know, there, there's that for love sure. for it. But yeah. like this now feels like all the things that you you have become such an outstanding songwriter, and your band has gotten so so strong throughout all of these records. It's like let you know whether it's just new people you've worked with like what you've learned along the way i don't know what it what it all could be but like the hooks and the and the sonic sound of this record is it's so so fucking awesome um and i was curious uh like because i think a lot of the songs do kind of have a different personality like there's a lot of different sounding kind of songs on it um was that a product of everyone bringing in their own influences when writing this together was it how collaborative was this record I mean, honestly, this was it was kind of like everything you need part two. It was just like everything you need two years later. Um, we did it kind of the same way. Like I went through this. I, I got really into gambling over the pandemic. And like, I didn't know if that was self-referential. Self yeah. Referential or not. I got the opening song. I did. Well, I didn't get banned from any casinos, but I got really into day trading over the pandemic. And like, I mean. I, I I get addicted to things kind of uh, yeah. easily, uh, maybe. 
and there wasn't much going on. And so I got really into gambling. And I mean, like I made a ton of money really fast, which is which was great. You get this high and you're like, oh, I'm and never... dangerous. Oh, it's super dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, yeah. You figured out it was dangerous after. <laughs> yeah. then, uh-huh. So I made all this money and I was like, you know what? I, you know, I don't think I'm going to have to go back on tour. I'm just going to be in a band for fun or whatever and started thinking about it. And then, oh, my God, then I just lost it. I kept losing and losing and losing and losing. And I mean, I lost a lot of money and I was in this like pit of like anxiety and like, what the fuck? <laughs> How is this real? Because when you're, when you're doing it like that money, it's not money anymore. It's just a score. Like it's really just numbers on a, yeah. on a screen watching it go up and down, up and down. And, um, I lost a lot of money and the next day I woke up and I, I think I wrote that head trunk song, like the song that opens up the record and kind of like everything you need. I just wrote for eight days straight and I just kept writing and it took my mind off the stuff. And, at the end of it, I sent it to the guys. I sent it to Peter and Danny, who we did everything everything you need with. And I said, like, let's go. Let's do it again. That's, and this was before, I mean, we were still sitting on uh, everything you need. And they were like, you, are you sure you want to do it again? And wow. I was like, yeah, we'll just do it again. We'll book three days in at, with Kyle at, at in London at the Sugar Shack where we recorded um, Negative Qualities and, and Everything You Need. And, I mean, they really took those songs and – Again, we only had three days and we recorded 10 songs. Jesus. We passed the guitar around and Danny and Peter added their riffs and Peter did all the drums in like one after the other in like three hours. Like it was, Pro. he just nailed it. Like, yeah, you know, and these songs were all really fresh to me. So like I had just written them like the week before kind of thing. And um, some of the record actually, like some of the guitars on the record are actually just my garage band demo no guitars that i just sent we were just sitting in the, in the room and he was like do you want to replay that guitar and i went what's the bpm is the bpm the same as the demo and if it was the same as the demo i just flew the guitar over and was like this is it like this goes and it was very magical in that moment where we were just like wow. this sounds does this sound good and we we're like yeah and then the third day a car uh smashed into an electricity pole and it the power went out for the whole block and we looked at each other and we were outside, you know, drinking a Diet Coke or whatever. And I was talking to Kyle, like the engineer and who really he helped produce the record, too. Yeah. Um, uh, and I just asked him, like, so is the if the hydro doesn't come back on, like, what do we do? Do we have it? And he was like. I think we have it. And that was it. That was it. And so we just went home and we didn't even know. And it was it was done. And then again, sent wow. it to Jay Mass. And it was like this very kind of very chaotic, magical, like little time. But those songs, they came so fast and we recorded them so quick that it just felt really honest. And like, so, wait, so how, long is, how long has this record been done? Like, are we talking like over a year? Uh, we recorded in, yeah, in like 2021. But then, wow. you know, I was going to just self-release it. I was going to self-release both of these records. Um but then I forgot about like contracts and things. I forgot like I forgot about obligations and whatever. So then I started talking to Dynalone and uh they were like, Have you ever you understand like we have an we have an option, right? <laughs> I was like, Oh, oh yeah, okay. Well if you want to yeah. put it out, you can. I was like, um, but like if you don't want to, I'm prepared to I was just gonna put it online. Yeah. And um they were like, Yeah, we wanna put it out, but you know, you've got this other record. So we had to wait a little bit to uh, to put them both out but got it thank you very much i'm glad you like it because like i do think it does kind of i mean danny and peter 
for for not being familiar with the songs we never practiced we were never in a jam space with these songs or anything we were just in the studio and like passing guitars around and everybody had like just shouting out ideas really fast and like kyle uh, the engineer uh you know he let us stay in the studio way later than we had to like he he stayed until like 1 a.m the one night was just like we're gonna get this done we're gonna finish it and like wow really and if i knew that it was gonna have like because in my head i was like okay i'm just gonna throw this up on Bandcamp. i'm just gonna put it on like you know whatever but it, i didn't really think that it was gonna have like a physical release and a real release now i'm thinking like I wonder what would have happened if we like booked one extra day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, no, if I yeah. would have like yeah, yeah, done no, better I, vocal takes or whatever. But do you? How long do you? You know, this is a this is something I'm curious about because you always have very interesting vocal patterns and stuff. And there's some definitely very interesting vocal patterns on this. Are how are you someone who does like you'll do a verse, stop, redo, like, do you track multiple, do you do comps when you're recording or do you do the, from start to finish? Are you tracking the whole song? Like, um, cause it, you always, you know, there's like a swagger to what you do always. There's always a swagger to it. And then, um, there's also a confidence in it. So I was curious from like, you know, outside right. perspective, like what is your time in the vocal booth? Like, I think it it kind of depends on how like how um stressful the song is on your on your voice like sure. I think with through a wall I probably had to comp some stuff um on Roy when I'm de so when I'm demoing a song I don't have any lyrics at all like really I I'm writing a drum part and a bass part and then I'll throw a guitar riff over it and then I'll just turn on my mic and I'll start spitting at the I'll just turn my brain off and start spitting and kind of go over what I record like I'll do a full take of a song and just listen back and go like, do I like any of these parts? And then I'll start kind of like comping. That's how kind of like I write lyrics now. Um, but when I'm in the studio, it really just depends like on how yelly I get. Um, mm. Like Sad Dumb Game, I think that's one take. Um, Jesus, I man. think Head Trunk is one take. Lottery, the third song in, those are my demo vocals from GarageBand. I just flew it. <laughs> I was like, I'm not redoing these. They're wow. Good. They're done. James Gandolfini, uh, which is a song like it's kind of <clears throat> like a, a critique on common uh, on modern masculinity that I that's, I think, partly the garage band session. I think if you really listen, you might be able to hear my girlfriend laughing in the background, <laughs> because when I wrote that song, I don't know what made me start saying James Gandolfini, but I was just singing James Gandolfini and she started laughing in the back and I was using it originally as a placeholder and then i ended up keeping it um it's a nice so, little easter egg for everybody yeah i got to double check but i knew for some of the vocals we flew them in after but i for the for the easier songs like i like to do a full pass and yeah. then maybe kyle will comp them but for the for the more like yelly fast stuff in the past i've had to comp because there's just too many words too fast to like yeah, yeah get yeah. my breathing right because i'm not a very i'm not practiced at it what's uh what was the motivation for that album cover so, so that's my friend Nick, who Nick Perry, who is a, f a big Touche fan, by the way. Aww. Um, fantastic photographer from Hamilton, Ontario. Friend of mine. He has like an Instagram page, just analog Nick. He does a lot of wedding photography, and honestly, is one of those things where I'm just kind of scrolling through, and uh, I landed on this picture, and I thought there is nothing more relative to this band than like four empty white heads with bad haircuts and bad facial hair like i was like this is just such a perfect representation <laughs> of what this band <laughs> is and has always been and i just messaged him i was like this 
I swear, this just speaks to me. Can I, can I use it? And he said, yeah, totally. You, I, I love the band. I would love it if you used it. So That's he so funny. just gave me the thumbs up and yeah, I just, so I funny. just really liked it. Yeah. I love that. Um, yo, man, I mean, congrats again on the record. It's, it's so good. And, and again, it's been such an honor and such a pleasure being your friend all these years and watching, watching your songwriting and your lyrics. Like you've always been an influence to me in a lot of ways. So, um, thank Jeez. you for all of well, that. Let me, let me hit you with the last question, man, which is when sure. was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you've been working so hard towards? Jeez. I don't, that's such a, I feel like I'm still working at it to be honest, like all the time. But I mean, there's, I love single mothers and I really, I think like this album cycle, having more of um, an imprint on the band, um, like having my own personal kind of like fingerprint on it. I, I feel like that more than I have in the past where it's kind of been like, I felt like the band was was more just a, a vehicle that I was in, at, like kind of a, as a passenger. So I definitely feel like that right now. But like, I got to say, when you put out our seven inch, that was the first taste of like somebody outside of our friend group liking something. And I think that was that was definitely like a, a huge shock to me. And that was probably the first the first real time that wow. I ever felt like I was working towards something attainable. Because yeah. before that, I I was convinced nobody liked it <laughs> nobody liked me <laughs> uh well i certainly like you a lot so uh, I, thank I you very much uh, to say i i love you sir so oh thanks uh, i love you too thanks so much for hanging out man this has been great And that is our show. Thank you so much to Drew for coming on and thank you for listening. Reminder, there's a bonus episode available right now if you head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon where Drew answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. All right, I'll see you next week. Take care of yourself. Be good. Bye-bye. <laughs>